Hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Most wonderful time. <laughs> um, here we go. My name is Daniel Makeda. I am a pastor in training here at Soma. Um, so here comes a sermon. So we lit a candle, that's because it's the season of Advent. So welcome back to our series on Advent. Does anyone know what the word Advent means? Or even what language it is? What is it? Coming. Coming. Yeah, that's that's right. It's Latin for, yes, Sarah, for coming, as in Jesus coming into the world. Um, His arrival, that's what Christmas is which is what we celebrate traditionally as the 25th of December. It's now only nine days away. Super exciting. And so during the season of Advent, four weeks prior to Christmas, we reflect on the meaning and the significance of Jesus coming into the world. And even more, we're now in the hindsight of his birth, right? So we're remembering that. But we look forward to his next Advent, the anticipation of Jesus' second coming, his, his final advent, to restore the world and, and prove again that we can trust him, that we can, can lean into God, and, and that he comes through on his promises, that he's faithful. And so that's why we're talking about love and hope, today joy and, and peace during the season. It's this time of reflection. So today I'm just putting us in, I'm building the frame. We're doing that with joy, reflecting on the advents or the advent of Jesus and considering what joy means here. So, to start our time, let's look at verse, uh, or Luke verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. So if you could look that up. I don't think we have the slides for that today. Got to open up your Bible, get out your phone. Luke 2, verse 8. That's the angel's announcement of Jesus' arrival, his, his advent. All right, Luke 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 10 again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ Jesus the Lord. So there you go. The angels are announcing the advent, Jesus Christ's birth. And they're saying that it's good news of great joy. And joy is something we associate with Christmas. Like you see it in lights, you see the decorations. Yes, and it's also too important to remember that joy is a key theme throughout the whole Bible, through the entirety of the Bible. It's, joy is constantly mentioned in the New Te- uh, Old Testament, from Psalms and Proverbs and the Prophets, on into the New Testament with the Gospels, and in the letters from the Apostles to the early church. Joy is a big deal in the Bible. But it's one of those hard-to-define words, I feel. Like, joy, what even is it? 
And we associate it with warm, fuzzy feelings and laughter and good moods. I think that's partly true. Like, joy has to do with that. But we know, everyone knows, whether you associate with Christianity or not, that, you, that joy is deeper than happiness. That it's not just happiness. It's not just a syn- synonym for happiness. It's definitely more than that. And I think there's a certain level of spirituality, a transcendence that we associate with joy. Like, we as people, like anyone, knows that joy is, is deeper underneath. And so to understand that deeper and underneath... We'll, uh, we'll look at the Bible and look at it as the whole, the grand narrative, and understand, that, um, understand what joy is. So we'll look at three things. First, joy is a choice. Second, joy as a posture in the narrative. And then joy for all people. I'm going to say this again. Just help you track with me. First, joy is a choice. Second, joy is a posture in the narrative. And third, joy for all people. So first, joy is a choice. Have you ever realized that joy is commanded in Scripture? The Apostle Paul, in his letters to the early church, tells Christians to rejoice. So check out these verses. Don't look them up. I'm going to read them to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. It's the will of God. Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. And the word rejoice there, in the Greek and in English, is an imperative. It's a command. And what's implicit in a command? That you have a choice to do the thing or to not do the thing. If you tell your kid to clean their room, They have a choice to either do it or not. So what I'm saying is, when Paul gives this command, it's implicit that joy is a choice. And what's really weird is Paul's telling this to the early church, who are people that are persecuted by the government, who are literally being thrown in jail by the Romans, put in prison, and even killed. And it's not just them, it's their families too, which is kind of outrageous to tell people like that to like command them to have joy, right? It seems almost insensitive of Paul. Can you tell a person to feel a certain way and that work? Like, oh, feel happy. <laughs> you can't do that, especially when there's serious stuff going on. Like, like we all know, like life has chaos. And if you take Paul commanding joy as just feel happy, then that's... That's not it. Joy is more than a feeling. It's a choice. Um, We know from the early church that they did have joy, which is probably just as outrageous as Paul commanding them to have joy. That they loved each other and that they loved people outside of the church. And that even, even from Roman sources, we know this, that Christians would even go to their deaths or to jail, or wherever. They would face persecution singing hymns, joyfully. That's not just an urban Christian legend, like Romans were like, oh, these people were singing. Super nuts. They chose joy. But where does that come from? How do we, as a church, the modern church, how do we choose it like they did? So first of all, I think there's a wrong idea about joy, and that's that joy is an elusive piece of fruit that we have to beg God for. So, wrong idea about joy.
fruit that we've got to beg God for. So what do I mean by that? I think it comes from Galatians 5.22. So Paul writes another letter um, to the church in Galatia saying, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think we read this and we sometimes imagine joy as a piece of fruit that God gives us. As if joy is shaped like an apple or something. And we can take it because we're a Christian and we take a bite. And if we don't have joy, we, we go to God and we're like, okay, I have God's Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so I'm going to ask God for this joy. And we pray like, Spirit, I've heard you got some fruit. And one of them is called joy. I don't have any joy. You give me some of that fruit. Exactly. <laughs> As if it's God's choice to give it to us. As if, it's, as if it's like we're commanding God. Like, hey God, give us some fruit. It's your choice as to whether or not I have joy. And in a sense that's true, but that's not what God gives. God gives us himself, right? And that produces the joy. That result of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit. The result of the Spirit is joy. So I, I think that's important as we move forward to remember that when we ask for joy, we're really not asking for uh, an object, a spiritual, like, metaphysical object that we can take a bite out of or something like that. You choose it. Next part of what it means to choose joy. When Paul is telling the early church to rejoice, to have joy, Paul's telling them to forget their sorrows? No. He's not telling them to... He's not telling them that their sorrow is keeping them from experiencing joy. He's not telling us to shove down our sorrows or to avoid them or to ignore them. To have joy, does God expect us to just turn that frown upside down? Something trite like that? That's not healthy, and that doesn't work. That's not what joy is. Like Maybe that's faking happiness, but that's turning a frown upside down or cheer up. It's not... That's, it's deeper than that. But even Paul says that in his letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, he says that us Christians are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that mysterious? That we can have joy and, and rejoice yet be sorrowful? Even Jesus is the man of sorrows. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, endured the cross. He went to the cross, and it was the joy set before him. So Jesus didn't avoid sorrow or, or pain. And that's not what Paul's asking. That's not what God is commanding us through Paul. Is not to, like, he's not commanding us to beg for a piece of fruit, and he's not commanding us to shove down our sorrows. The command to rejoice is a command to have joy by remembering who God is, by remembering that He's trustworthy, to remember His character, to remember who He is, what He's done, and what He's doing, to remember the narrative of the Bible, and how that narrative of God's goodness is the narrative for our life. I'm going to say that again. The command to have joy is a command to remember who God is, to remember that He's trustworthy. To remember his character, who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing. To remember the narrative of the Bible and how the narrative of God's goodness is the narrative of our life. 
So we position ourselves. We take on a posture as we put ourselves in the narrative. And with the help of the Spirit, we adopt this position or this posture of trust. It's an attitude of trust that results in joy. The fruit of that is, is joy. So joy is a posture in the narrative. Joy comes from a posture of trust in God. In that passage uh, in Luke, Luke 2, we find ourselves in the middle of a big story. And to truly understand the announcement of, of the, the angel's announcement of Jesus' arrival to the shepherds, that it's great news, that it's good news of great joy, we've got to go back to the beginning. So we, we're entering into Luke 2 and we find ourselves in, in the middle of a story. So let's go back to the beginning. In the first book of the Bible begins with God creating a wonderful world and He puts humans in it to enjoy and love Him, to love each other and to take care of the world. He gives humans the dignity of trusting in Him and choosing to follow His design of the world. But as we know, humanity rebels and disorder and chaos enters the world, bringing destruction and sorrow. But despite humanity's evil, God remains determined to rescue and so bless this world. And he promises the coming, the advent of a future Savior who will come to finally defeat evil and undo all the sorrow and the wrong. And so in the meantime, from the beginning where God makes that promise, the Bible shows person after person and nation after nation making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and other people's lives and promise in jeopardy. However, God remains faithful to His people. He remains faithful to His promises. And He's determined to rescue and bless them. He continually bails them out and bends the results of humanity's bad choices for good. And so that's where we arrive in that story. This, this hope and this promise for a Savior, this hope and this promise that Jesus is going to be it, this hope and this promise that God is faithful and true to to his people, and that he's going to come through on his word. So let's look at an example in the Old Testament uh, in Habakkuk, who, if you were here for our Minor Prophet series, I feel like he gets left out sometimes, so I'm happy to include him in, <laughs> in this sermon. Um, go ahead and look up Habakkuk 3.17. Habakkuk 3.17. So Habakkuk is a prophet in the Old Testament that comes before Jesus. And he's in the middle of that narrative of God restoring the world. And he writes a book. And it's a sad book. And through most of it, he's expressing sorrow. His five woes, if you remember that. We talked about the woes. And he writes to God about the, what the nation of Israel has become. And keep in mind that Israel is supposed to be where the future Savior comes from. Anyways, uh, Israel has become a violent place of evil and injustice with corrupt leadership. The neglect of the scriptures is, is prevalent. And, and moreover, the threat of, Babylonia, of the Babylonian empire is looming on the horizon. So this nation is super messed up, corrupt Sounds kind of familiar. And in the first chapters, they're, they're chapters of sorrow that Habakkuk writes. 
he, he's expressing his grief over this to God. But at the end of the book, he remembers and reflects on the narrative of who God is, what God's done, and what he's doing. He remembers God's promises, and he trusts that God uses the injustice in the world, that he bends it back around, and he comes through. So, Habakkuk 3.17, he writes this short little poem. In the beginning, it has this of, of sorrow. Here, check. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So all this stuff in Israel is going wrong. And he makes this beautiful poem about, how, about that. And at the end of it, he, he remembers that God is trustworthy, that God is a God of salvation, and that we can rejoice in that, even though there's all these evils that are outside of us, destroying our world or hurting our lives or our children or our families or, or even ourselves. Habakkuk, by the end of the book, he chooses to, to have joy regardless. He takes joy in the God of his salvation. So joy is the result of a choice to anticipate redemption and to realize that as Christians we're inside of redemption, to trust God as coming through on his promises. And so when the angels announce, for unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why it's a huge deal. Because God is coming through on His promise that the Savior has come into the world. It's the news that God is faithful and that His grand plan is unfolding when we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate Advent. Jesus Himself is God. He's the physical manifestation of God adventing into earth to come and save it Himself. It's the announcement that God has put Himself into the narrative. God has put Himself into the world, and Jesus is the proof of that. He's not forsaken us, and that gives us joy, even though so much is falling apart. So God doesn't just hand out joy like some piece of fruit. He hands us Himself, His presence, and realizing and trusting in this results in joy. And it's, it's good news. So choose Him, and choose to trust Him. Choose joy. So joy is for all people. And that's, I, I really like that God announced it to shepherds. I think that shepherds get romanticized a little bit because we really like going back to the old culture. I have a story about shepherds, actually. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I will. I used to live in the Middle East. I was a teacher in Amman, Jordan. And I was teaching um, night classes often. And it was kind of late. Like I would walk back home. It's like a 20, 30 minute walk through, okay, imagine rocks and dirt. And, uh, <laughs> and I lived not on the outskirts of town, but in a place of some new development. And there was like some old buildings and new buildings being built up around, but like big plots of land around. And so it was night, it was dark. Nobody really around. I got my headphones in, and I don't know what I'm listening to, but over my headphones, I can hear, like, rustling behind me, but not, like, a soft rustling in the bushes, like, quick, like, movements. And I, I'm like, 
what's going on behind me? And then I hear this super crazy, like, multiple barks from these dogs. And I start running. I know you're not supposed to run from dogs. Like, you're supposed to turn around, but that was the flight instinct in me. I was like, ah! And I was trying to get to this, like, light pole, because this was a hot pursuit for a little while. I was trying to get to this light pole and, like, I guess... Put, my, put it in between me and these dogs that were chasing me. And just as they were on my heels, this clear whistle comes through like the air. And those dogs immediately shut up and start walking back. And I turn around, and since it was so dark, I didn't see, but there was a giant flock of sheep just there among the, like in one of those plots of lands that hasn't been built up yet. And these shepherds were just like, hey. <laughs> And I was like, hey, that's not nice. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they were just messing with me or didn't notice. I don't know. But those, do- those dogs were doing a good job for the shepherds. <laughs> I like imagining that the angels just tore open the sky and announced it to those guys. Super nuts. The shepherds, are, I feel we romanticize them, but they're normal people. And what's really crazy <laughs> is that there's a lot of shepherds in the Bible, and there's a, a, a lot of good things said about shepherds. God compares himself to a shepherd. And a lot of the main characters in the Bible are shepherds, like Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David. But if you know these guys' stories, you know that they were people God used for amazing things, and they were some of the most messed up people, if you really look at the stories. Not the children's books, but the Bible. Like, <laughs> like David is one of the central figures of the Bible. And he was an adulterer and responsible for the death of innocent people. Yet God was faithful to his promises. And even when David doesn't deserve it, he bends David's failure into goodness. In fact, God chooses David's line, the house of David, just like that scripture, to enter into the world. God uses the messed up people. He uses the shepherds who are just like us. So you can't really talk yourself out of this good news of great joy not being for you if you're like too messed up or, or something like that. Because just like the rest of the humanity, God uses shepherds to announce himself. Like he announces himself to shepherds and he bends and redeems your evil actions for good, because God is good, and He's loving, and He's faithful. So that's why we don't get overwhelmed with sorrow, but we have joy that God is who He says He is. So to have joy, you can choose to trust in the Lord. You are written into this narrative. The angels, in a way, are announcing it to you because you are part of all people, right? And what's so crazy is God has written Himself into your narrative. Because as Christians, we receive Him. His Spirit. That's the era we live in of this grand narrative that we find ourselves in. And so, you know, maybe some of you aren't like super crazy sinful right now. And maybe you're actively trying to trust God and not really... Maybe you're being oppressed or something. like. And you're trying to choose to have joy. Remember that trusting in the Lord isn't an overnight process. Like, you're not going to hear the sermon and just have trust and have joy, necessarily. It, it's not something that just... I guess you can have joy immediately, for sure. 
but to have continual effort on our part. So go to Him over and over. He can handle your sorrows. And you know the Psalms talk a lot about joy. And you know what else they talk about a lot? Meditation and prayer. And I think that we want joy oftentimes without spending time in God's presence. And you have His presence available to you. You don't have to go find it. He's here. He's among you if you're in Christ. He's, he's in you. So let the good news of great joy be your good news. And let God's advent into the world change you. And change your outf- outlook on the world. Um, one more story. And this is a real life story. It gives a pretty good picture of joy. So, Stephen and I were taking our Australian friend to Intelligentsia. Because he loves coffee and he loves... All things kind of hipster. Um, So we were walking out after drinking our coffee, and this guy who was not Donald Glover, but looked a lot like Donald Glover, runs out to us, and he goes, Hey, bros, i gotta give you, I got to give you high fives right now. We're like, yeah, yeah. I was, I was jazzed because this dude was so pumped. I was like, what's up? Why do you need some high fives? He goes, I just got a phone call, and my student loan debts have been forgiven. I was like, that's kind of weird. That can't be a coincidence, so I just said it. I was like, bro, that's crazy, because that's exactly what Jesus does for us. <laughs> I, just, I said, this is, this is what I told him. I said, Jesus took all our debts so that we can have forgiveness. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so we chatted with him some more. It turns out this guy has, like, he was telling us about his problems. Like, he had some, he was, like, trying to, like, figure out where he's going to live, going through some transitions and stuff. He's talking about seeing his family. This dude has some real problems, like, it unfolded as we chatted with him. And he said, I lost my train of thought. Did that dude's day change? Yes, absolutely. Did his, like, problems of having to find a place to live change? No. But that dude went out through his whole day like so psyched because his like, debt was forgiven, right? And so we have that. But we have so much more because we have our, our eternal debt, our spiritual debt forgiven. And that's a reason to have joy. That's why the problems in our lives aren't just mm, overwhelming, right? Because underneath there is the good news. And that's not a press, pressing sorrow down or shoving it in a trash can. It's, it's realizing that we can... Go through it. So as you're experiencing sorrow, and I think Christmas is a time where we feel happy, but we also feel a lot of sorrow. So know that God can handle it. Because He is good, and we can trust Him. So let's position ourselves in His narrative, and realize that we're in His narrative, and go forward. We can rejoice. That's it. Merry Christmas.